Awesome. Thank you, Hayes. Thank you, team. Good morning, church. How are you? Good morning. It's good to see you. I'm glad that you're here today. It is a good day to worship. And man, I'm glad that we get to celebrate together. Uh, hey, uh, a couple quick things before we jump in uh, for this morning. Uh, first off, it is, we are in our summer schedule. It is going to be July 4th next week. Want to give you a couple updates, thank you, Hayes, uh, on just our schedule for the next few weeks. Uh, next Sunday, with it being the July 4th holiday, uh, we are not going to be having any community groups uh, for anyone. Uh, so that goes for adults, kids, all of us. Uh, we will have our worship services, uh, and that we will have, uh, let's see, so none of that, preschool will be available. Uh, but no community groups. So we'll be doing worship, both services, but not having our community groups. So just be aware of that coming up for this next Sunday. But as we roll in through the rest of July, we will continue to have uh, community groups for our adults. I know the past couple years we have kind of pulled back from that, but man, we're just getting started. We want to make sure we continue our momentum. And so we will have adult community groups, youth community groups all throughout the rest of July, but our kids will be in here for worship. We will not be having kids worship, uh, and that happens July 4th through August 8th. And look, this is something we do every year on purpose. We want to give our, uh, our kids' teachers a little bit of a break, but even more importantly than that, it is very important for our kids to see us worshiping, uh, that we get to lead by example. And so we spend about five, six weeks every year in the summer. We want to invite them into the room with us so they get to experience that with us. This is important for them as well as for us. So be, uh, we're going to celebrate that as they come into worship with us starting next week. Uh, they will have community groups. And so you can still bring them in here for worship with you. And then they can go to a community group just like you do. Uh, but that will be available all throughout the rest of the summer. Uh, that's July fourth through August 8th. And then finally, uh, we do have a new calendar uh, for our youth program. And listen, there's a ton on it. Uh, Noel has got a lot of things planned. There's something almost every day of the month. Uh, but those are available outside. So if you want to pick up a new July uh, calendar, I would encourage you to do so because there's a ton of stuff. Even tonight, there's stuff for some of our guys. So do not miss that. Make sure you pick that up. But we are still doing a lot of things all throughout the month of July. And listen, we've honestly got some very exciting announcements. Almost every single week for the rest of the summer, we've got new announcements to bring to you. Very exciting things are happening. Things are beginning to pick up steam. And so even next week, man, make sure you're here. Uh, and if you're not here, you're watching online, man, you're listening to the podcast because we have a lot of great things to share with you. Uh, one final thing I do want to share with you, though, before we jump into our sermon for today, did get uh, some sad news last night. Uh, many of you have been following along on uh, our emails, uh, but last night, just after 9 p.m., uh, our sister, Mary Neuendorf, went home to be with the Lord. Uh, she's been struggling uh, with an illness, honestly, we, we, for a while, but acutely only for about a week and a half. So this is sudden for a lot of us, uh, but she was at home with Dale and the rest of the family. Uh, but I got a chance to pray with him. I know he would in, just be encouraged by our prayers uh, as we just support him in the midst of their loss uh, and really all of our loss. And so I'd love just to take a moment to pray uh, for him and that whole family uh, as they struggle. So if you would, bow your heads with me, if you would. Heavenly Father, um, it is just hard when we lose uh, someone who is faithful and dear to us, a friend who's been fellowshipping with us for so many years, uh, a sister. And so, Lord, we are so thankful for, for the life of Mary Neuendorf and for all that you blessed us with through her. And so, Father, we're, and we're grateful also just for the salvation she has in you and that there will one day be a reunion. But, 
In these moments, we ask that you would comfort us in the midst of our loss, and most importantly, Father, just for Dale, for the kids, for the family, uh, for so many people who have rallied around her in these, these last days, uh, Lord, she is incredibly loved, and so would you just bless Dale and the rest of the family, Father, with your presence, and the constant reminder that you hold us up even in the midst of grief, that you are a God who mourns with those who mourn, as well as rejoices with those who rejoice. And so, Father, we ask a blessing of your spirit upon him and use us, Father, help us to rally around this entire family as they uh, go through these difficult days. But, Lord, we give you all the honor and praise that in you we have hope. And so would you continue to comfort us But we ask your blessing in all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Hey, grab your Bibles, if you will. Let's go to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. You're going to need that table of contents. Haggai chapter 1 is where we're going to be. I know it's your favorite. Haggai chapter 1, minor prophet in the Old Testament. Haggai chapter 1 is where we're going to be as we continue this sermon series called Return, Rebuild, Renew. Uh, We are following the Israelites as they return from the exile and have the task of rebuilding all that had been destroyed. And we're doing that because we also are in a rebuilding season. As we all come back from the pandemic and we find ourselves in really a new place, even though it's an old place, we also have a task of returning and rebuilding and renewing. And so we're asking the Lord for guidance as we look back into his word. Haggai chapter one is where we're gonna be in just a moment. While you're turning there, let me ask you this. You've ever been sidetracked before? You ever find yourself, you're doing one thing, and the next thing you know, it's like hours later or days later, and you have not done the thing that you said you were going to do? This happens often if you use the internet at all, right? It starts with an innocent question that is going to suck away years of your life, right? A simple question like, where do hamsters come from? You ever thought about that? Like, seriously, you ever seen a feral hamster? Like, where do they come from? Where do you see hamsters in the wild? I don't know. So you look it up. And when you look it up, you will lose hours of your life. You'll begin to find out about all the types of hamsters you didn't know existed. You'll find out where they exist. You'll find all the kinds of things about hamsters you didn't know were there. Then you'll find out that when you put in hamsters in Google, the thing that pops up next is hamsters in hats. Why would it say that? I'm going to find out. And you'll find out that people put tiny hats on hamsters and take pictures of them. And yes, it is as cute as you think it is. This can go on for hours and for days. And you just keep clicking. You just keep going down. And then you wake up and it's February. And you have no idea where the time has gone. You have no idea idea where your life has gone, but you're a little happier. You saw some funny pictures, but, but what do I do now? I got sidetracked by all these things. And, and man, that happens all the time when you turn on the internet, whether it be YouTube, whether it be television, whether it be, uh, whatever it might be, hours of our life. And, and look, typically that's not all that damaging, right? Maybe you stayed up too late watching movies. Maybe you didn't get as much work done that day. You weren't as productive as you could have been. Usually it's not all that bad, but what happens if you get sidetracked in life? Like what happens when your entire direction in life takes just a a little bit of a turn, not a complete course correction, but just a little bit of a shift and you find yourself sidetracked in a different place? Well, over time, that puts you in a completely different direction, although that's not what you originally intended. And that is the danger that the Israelites are facing when it comes to the book of Haggai. If you've been with us the past few weeks, you've been following along with this story. So the Israelites were living in the promised land, and they had rejected the word of the Lord. 
God had spent centuries trying to call them back, but for this particular people, he preached to them for 40 years, and they refused to obey. And so the Lord finally leveled everything, took them into exile, where they stayed for 50 years. But then the Lord, true to his word, says, no, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back to this place. And so they do, 42,000 of them and more, they returned back to Israel. And when they get there, they immediately start to lay the foundation of the temple. The temple is the center of all of their religious life. It is the center of the entire nation. And so they begin to lay the foundation of the temple. And we looked at that last week. They said, look, this is the center. Everything flows from here. We need to make sure we keep this as the foundation of all of who we are. And so, so far, so good. Everything seems to be going well. God's plan is being fulfilled. People have followed in faith. They have immediately laid the foundation of the temple. Everything was going fine until they just stopped. Because once they laid the foundation of the temple, they never actually build on it, at least not immediately. They will fail to build the temple for the next 18 years. For 18 years, they will leave that foundation where it is and not build the temple that they came back to build in the first place. 18 years, the the temple of the Lord is languishing. And the question is why? What in the world could have deterred them? What got them sidetracked from where where they were going, from what they were supposed to do? And so God sends a prophet named Haggai to speak to them. And that's why we find ourselves in chapter one, verse one of Haggai. That is more than enough time to find this tiny little book. Verse one, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Stop right there. So here we're finding out the reasons why they have not followed on the temple. What they've said is, is that, well, it's just not time yet. It's not time to finish the temple. It's not time to actually complete this project. And if we really asked them to explain what they meant by that, they would have had a lot of very good reasons. Uh, The first one would have been this. They would say, listen, we're starting everything from scratch. There's a lot to do right now. When they came back to Israel, it wasn't like the temple was the only building that was destroyed. Everything was destroyed. They have to rebuild their homes, the roads, the, the infrastructure, the, the farms, the fields, the, 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 every, the restaurants, the everything. They have to rebuild all of it. Listen, we're trying to rebuild, but there's a lot to do here. It's going to take some time. Furthermore, there's been opposition The neighbors were not happy about this new temple going up and this nation coming back to prominence. And so they've been giving all kinds of opposition. And when they did, well, the Persian kings didn't stop them. And so that stopped the work for a long while. And some of them were going, look, we can't start until we get permission again. We can't start until the the pagan king says, yes, go complete that thing that you started. So some of them are just waiting for this permission. Others would say, we don't have the resources Look, man, nobody's rich here. We've got a lot of stuff to build. It's not like we just got money coming out our ears. It's not like Solomon's still around to pay for the thing. We don't have the resources to make this look like it's supposed to look. 
And so we can't do this yet. We've got to wait. And then others even had theological reasons. They might have looked and said, listen, I've read you know, Isaiah and a couple other things, and, and it sounds like we need the Messiah before we can actually do that. And so if you look at the scriptures, it might kind of sort of say, we need a Messiah before we can really rebuild the temple. And so for theological reasons, we just can't build the temple just yet. And most of these are very legitimate concerns. They were starting everything from scratch. They didn't have a whole lot of resources. They had had opposition. And so a lot of these sound like common sense, good reasons for not following through. But the Lord is having none of that. He gives one reply, and he says this. Look what he says there in verse 3. He said, or verse 4. He said, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? His reply back to their concerns are this. Well, you don't seem to have time to build the temple, but I know what you found time for. You found time for your house. And you say you don't have resources, but you apparently have resources for your house. And you think you need permission to build my house, but you didn't wait for anybody's permission to build or for my house. You didn't wait for permission to build your house. All these concerns you have seem to work on my house, but you seem to neglect or your house, but you seem to neglect my house. And we know kind of what he's thinking because this tiny little word here in the middle, it says you dwell in your paneled houses. This is an odd little word. Uh, it shows up in a few different places. It can mean a few different things. It can mean roofed. It can mean finished uh, or covered. Uh, it can also mean, and this is probably what it means here, is wood paneled, which basically means they've decorated it. They didn't just put the studs up and the drywall and they made the bare bones houses. They said, no, we put up the crown molding. All right, we, we got all the accoutrements in here. Right? We got the decorator in. We put the curtains up. They don't just have houses. They have paneled houses. So God's whole argument here is, is like, well, you clearly have enough time to not only build your house, but to decorate your house, to trick out your house. You can't even put the studs up on my temple. What's the deal? And he's calling them out. And he says, listen, all these reasons you have for not building are actually not reasons. They're just excuses. You have gotten sidetracked from what you came here to do. You have gotten sidetracked from what you were supposed to be doing. Now, look, there's good news and bad news in this. Here's the good news. Their problem is not idolatry. Remember what got them in the trouble in the first place. It was the fact that they worshiped all kinds of other gods. Here's what the Israelites are not doing. They are not putting household gods in their houses. They are not rebuilding the high places. They are not turning back to all the other gods. They're not doing any of that. The exile has had a really great effect on the Israelites. They have been well and truly cured of idolatry. They, they know where that leads. They know the destruction that it brings. They are not going to move anywhere close to idolatry. So that's the good news. The bad news is, is that they've been so focused on not being idolatrous that they didn't realize they could be tempted in other ways. You see, the same enemy that tempts us is the same enemy that was tempting them. He's real old. And he's been tempting people for a long time. And when he sees that the idolatry door is closed, he goes, all right, that's fine. And he just moves around to the other side. Remember our spiritual warfare series from earlier in the spring. Satan doesn't just have one tool in his arsenal. He's got lots of different weapons. 
And if this one doesn't work on you, he'll just grab another one. If it's not accusation, it's distraction. If it's not distraction, it's deception. He will use whatever he can to trip us up. And so that's what he's doing. He says, fine, you guys won't fall for the idolatry trick anymore. Fine, I'll just get you sidetracked with a bunch of busyness. I'll get you sidetracked with something else. Look, it might take longer, but it doesn't matter if he gets our hearts in the end. This is what you and I have to constantly be alive to. You might say, Adam, I'm not, I'm not worried about idolatry. That's never been an issue for me. And you might say, Adam, I'm, I'm, I'm great. I've got my, my heart you know, really kind of bolstered up. I don't think I'm going to fall prey to an addiction or to an affair. I got the, the doors closed on that. That is awesome. And so Lord, I mean, the enemy just goes, great, fine. I won't tempt you there. I'll just come right over here and just say, what about some selfishness? And I'll throw that at you for a while. It takes longer. But if it gets you in the end, what does it matter? Satan honestly doesn't matter if you look really good and do things awesome for three quarters and then you lose in the fourth quarter. As long as you lose in the end, it doesn't matter. Now, look, I know that's probably a really harsh comment for Georgia fans, and I'm real sorry about that, all right? Uh, It's hard. It's painful. I know. Uh, But look, if you lose in the end, what does it matter? And so Satan's just like, fine, I'll just distract you. It may not be as flashy as an addiction or an affair, but if it gets you in the end, he does not care. And that is what is happening here. They have avoided the main trap and they are falling for a secondary trap. We've constantly got to be alive to this. Jesus actually tells us something very similar to this. Look at this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. This is Jesus in this city, hundreds of years later, talking to us. He says, therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what should we eat and what should we drink and what should we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Different century, same problems. And we could say the same place from our vantage point. Different century, same problems. Here are the Gentiles running around saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? And these are not bad concerns. There's nothing wrong with what you eat and what you drink and what you wear. You need that. There's honestly nothing wrong with their houses. There's nothing wrong with them paneling their houses. The house is not the problem. The food, the drink, the clothing, that's not the problem. The problem is, which one of these do you seek first? And so there in verse 33 here, keep that up for for a little bit longer. I'm going to come back to this one. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. Which one of these do we seek first? They're all necessary concerns, but what's most important, that's what the Israelites are missing. That's what the people in Jesus' day are missing. That's what we will miss if you and I are not careful. Now, if you've been here for a while, you know that I've quoted this passage a lot. Like going through my old sermons, like we quote Matthew 6.33 quite a bit. But as I was going through it this week, I, I kind of wondered if we are misremembering this verse. Like I have a fear that, that when we remember this verse, we remember it not wrong, but maybe incompletely. When we think about Matthew 6.33, here's what I think we normally take away. But seek first his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you as well. That's not wrong. It's exactly what the verse says. But it's incomplete because he didn't just say, hey, seek my righteousness. Hey, do good things. Hey, seek after the Lord. It says, no, seek first his what? Kingdom and his righteousness. 
and all these things will be added unto you. See, that's the word we don't get, so we skip it. We don't understand kingdoms. We don't think in terms of kingdoms. We live in a democracy, and so that's just, it's a little bit foreign, so we just skip it, and we just run to righteousness, but that word kingdom is important. This is what the Israelites were missing. He was trying to tell them, don't you understand the reason that you need to rebuild the temple is because this is the symbol of my presence in your midst. I am doing something in you, but I have a plan to really cover the entire world. This plan is bigger than you. And so you need to rebuild the temple. Why? Because this is central to who you are and to the grand plan that I am unfolding. And he would say the same thing to you and I today. We learned this a little while earlier. Don't you realize that, listen, this life is not about us. Your life is not about you. This is shocking to say in America. This is American blasphemy, right? Your life is not about you. My life is not about me. The world does not center around us. You and I are crucial parts of his unfolding story. You and I play crucial roles in his larger unfolding story. We're a part of his kingdom, not the other way around. The goal is not to make God work in my kingdom. The goal is to recognize his is the only kingdom that matters. Why should I seek him first? Because his is the only kingdom that is truly important. Yes, we're going to get to food, drink, and clothing. Yes, we're going to get to houses and even paneled houses. But the most important thing is to recognize that my life is not about me. My life is about him. If I don't seek his kingdom, if I don't see that there's a larger story going on, I have misunderstood the purpose of my life. And this is where we get to the true danger of distraction. Look, when we talk about distraction, typically, we usually start thinking about short attention spans, right? Uh, we're inundated with information. We've got hyperlinks everywhere. We've got all the different things. Squirrel! And we just kind of run around, and we, we look at other stuff as if we're just distracted. That's not really the more dangerous form of distraction. True dangerous distraction is when you and I get sidetracked from what is real and what is true and, and what is everlasting onto temporal things that ultimately will not matter, when we start trading what we are here for and the, and the core of our lives for something else, all of a sudden, uh, the goal becomes not uh, just to get stuff, get the promotion, get the new house, get success, get married, get whatever it is that you're seeking after. If I can just get this, then I'll have life. Not realizing that those things are important and fine, but, but they don't define us. They don't give us life. They are a part of life, but they don't give us life. And so the Lord is trying to wake his people up. He goes, don't you see? Listen, your houses are fine, but if you don't put me first, if you don't seek after me first, you are going to miss all of this. You're not going to understand why you're here. And so as they rebuild, he says, listen, you've got to rebuild from the foundation with Christ at the center, with me at the center, you've got to rebuild the kingdom. And that's something important for us to think about because that's where we are, are we not? This is our little nook of the kingdom. This is our representation of the kingdom. This is the place where God has put us during this season of our lives. And we have a challenge in front of us is that we need to rebuild And guys, it's going to take work. 
it's going to take time. It's going to take resources. We've got relationships that need to be renewed. We're going to have friendships. We're going to have to start from scratch because new people are here who haven't been here before. Community groups are going to have to shift because there's a different mix of people in them. New community groups, like we just talked about, are going to form, and that's got to happen. New leadership is going to have to emerge. New ministries are going to have to emerge to address the current needs, not the needs from five years ago, but the needs of today. And all of that is going to require work. But while we are in a rebuilding phase, guess who else is also in a rebuilding phase? Everyone. We're all in a rebuilding phase. PTOs have got to rebuild. Man, workplaces have to rebuild. Jobs have to rebuild. Everybody is rebuilding and everybody's going to be clamoring for our attention. And all of those things are great and fine. The question is, which kingdom are you going to build first? Am I going to seek his kingdom and his righteousness? Or do I say, listen, I, I got to work on my house. I got to work on my job. I got to work on my hobbies. I got to work on my stuff. And if I get all of these things done, then I can come and really center on the Lord. Or do we need to flip it and say, no, I need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, knowing all these things will be added unto me as well. Am I going to get distracted, sidetracked, or not? Let's consider uh, what happens next. Look at verse 5. It says, Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I might take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and where the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. A couple things right off the bat we need to notice from this section. First off, he tells them to consider their ways. He'll actually say it twice. He says in verse five and verse seven, he's gonna say, consider your ways. He is inviting them to have wisdom, He says, I want you to truly see what is going on. I want you to stop, and instead of being distracted or going with the flow, I I just want you to stop and truly begin to look around and see what is going on. See what your time is producing. See what your effort is producing. Could you understand what is really going on instead of being so busy and just so locked into what's going on, you just kind of flow with it and you miss what's really actually happening. And that's something that you and I need to do on a regular basis. I mean, when was the last time you just stopped and truly considered your life of what your life is producing? With the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, the way we spend our relationships, what is that actually producing in my life? When was the last time we actually stopped and looked at that? I mean, I think for some of us, we, we decided when we started our jobs, we says, man, I want to do this job so I can make a difference. But somewhere along the way, it says, no, I want to do this job so I can make money. And we don't know where that change happened. We, we started one place and we ended 
at a different place. So, so which is it? Maybe you made a move and you said, hey man, I'm gonna make this move so I can have more time with my family, so I can really slow down the pace of life, so I can have this opportunity with my family. And so you did, but somewhere along the way, it stopped being about my family and just turned into succeeding in a different way and in a different place. And we started playing the same game. And we did it again. I mean, evaluate. Could you look at your life? I mean, think through what happens. I mean, all right, so we, we got the promotion. You, you did the thing. You spent all the money. You, you got it. You achieved. Was it worth the investment you had to put in to get it? It's awesome. You won the tournament. That was great, man. You spent all the time. You got there. You won the tournament. Was it worth the time that you had to spend to get in? You got the house, the lake house, the, the, the thing, the car, the whatever else it is that you were saving for, that you were looking for. You got it. Did it fix your problems and actually help you truly in life or were the same problems there? Maybe you say, man, I spent all this time on social media. It's great. I've got so many followers and I got so many people who love all my stuff. I spend hours and hours on social media every day. Does it actually make you feel better about yourself? Or has it finally come home to us that the more hours we spend on social media, the less well we feel about ourselves? Like there's a direct correlation. Have we ever stopped and just looked at our life and said, here's what I'm doing and here's what it's producing. Do I see the link? Do I see what's really going on? That's what the Lord's asking them to do. He says, stop. Can you just stop and evaluate what's really happening he tells them, you guys have clothes, but you're never really warm. You go eat out to eat all the time, but you never really have your fill. You keep working a ton, but, but you don't really seem to really change your fortunes at all. Things aren't working. Do you notice? He's trying to wake them up and inviting them into wisdom. But here's the second thing he says. He goes, but I did this to you. He said, I did it. Look at verse nine. He says, you brought it home, and guess what? I blew it away. Why? Because of my house that lies in ruins. Verse 10, therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its peace and I called for a drought on the land. Why are things going so weird for them? Why is it hard? God says, I'm purposely frustrating you. Now that may sound harsh to us, doesn't it? Man, why would God do that? These are his people. Why would, why would he do this to them? But please understand, God is not punishing them. We know what punishment looks like. It looks like complete and total destruction. We've seen the judgment of God fall on his people, and he levels everything. This is not judgment. This is discipline. God's not doing this out of anger. He's doing this out of love. He said, well, he sounds jealous that they, they like their house more than his house. And you could call God a little bit jealous. He's actually the only person who can actually have a kind of true kind of jealousy but instead, remember, this is the God who created them. This is the God who loves them, the one who created them out of whole cloth, who loves them, who gave them this land, who refused to abandon them even when they abandoned him. This is the one who has called them back and given them all these things. He loves them. And so because of his incredible love for them, he is going to discipline them. Haggai is like a big flashing warning light. He says, guys, do you not see what is going on? Do you not see what is happening if you continue in this vein, I already know where this leads. I know where this goes. If you stay sidetracked, if you continue on this journey, I have seen the end. It is destruction. And so he warns them now and says, look, I'm willing to send you a drought to wake you up. I'm willing to take a few things away from you to wake you up. This is discipline. 
Every parent understands this, do we not? Because if you have a child, sooner or later, you're going to have to discipline that child. And if you've not done that, would you please start today? Because you have to discipline children. Now, discipline is hard. No one likes it. I don't like it. But you have to. And I don't know how you do discipline, but listen, when your, your child is doing something wrong, it might be a spanking, it might be time out, it might just be raising your voice, and this might hurt their feelings, they might not like it. Why would you do this to your child? Because in a very small place, while they have a, a small amount of pain, you're trying to protect them from utter destruction. Don't put your hand on that hot stove. Don't go running out into the street. I don't like to hear that. They don't like to be disciplined, but you understand where this could go. You understand the greater destruction that could come. And so up front, you choose to discipline them, not out of anger, but out of love. Okay, this is the Lord disciplining his people and saying, guys, do you not see what's going on? I'm trying to wake you up. I'm trying to keep you centered where you are. Are there any places where the Lord might be doing that to us? You might say, yeah, but Adam, I don't have to build a temple. This is not my situation, but what if, what if it is? Jesus speaks this to us again. Here's Luke chapter nine. Jesus speaking to us, his people, and here's what he says to us. He says, and Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Here's Jesus talking to his believers. These are people who are beginning to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. He's trying to help them. And he turns around one day and says, hey, listen, you want to keep following me? Here's what it means. You're going to need to die every day. You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up your cross. This is an implement of execution. And you're going to need to, to really lose your life in order to save it. This sounds harsh, does it not? How do we feel when the Lord tells us, hey, you know what? You need to deny that desire that you have. Hey, you need to push down that desire that you have. No one in America tells us that. We're told the opposite. We're encouraged to say, no, whatever desire you have, make sure you fulfill every single one. Never deny yourself. He's going to say, no, listen, you need to take up your cross. You need to lay down your life. You need to give up the self-life. Why would we do that? Because Jesus understands when you and I live in ourselves, it leads to destruction. We lose our souls. We literally find ultimate and complete and total destruction. Jesus says, but when you lay down your life and you find your life in me, when you surrender the self-life and you instead live in Christ, you live surrendered to him, you actually gain eternal life. You gain real life. You gain the life that you were always meant to have. God is trying to usher us into true joy and life, and yet we're constantly being brought back to this place where we're tempted to grab onto selfishness and make it all about us. And there's a little word that's very important here that helps us here too. Luke is really the only one who brings this in. But look at there in verse 23. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. This is important. Because you see, for those Israelites, they would have said, but Lord, we have made you central. Lord, we were the ones who, who came back. 
We were the ones who left everything in Babylon and started from scratch. We were the ones who put your foundation here at the center. We have followed you. We have made you first. And that's all true, but what about today? Because I bet for most of us in this room, you showed up at the nine o'clock service for crying out loud. You're the spiritual ones. Well, you say, Adam, but we have followed the Lord. We have sought after him. We have given up for him. And the Lord said, you are exactly right. You have But for you to not get sidetracked, I need you to follow me today. I need you to reject selfishness today. I need you to deny yourself today. Don't let yourself get sidetracked, distracted back into the ways of the world. I'll provide everything that you need. I promise you. I care for you. But seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and then everything gets added unto you. And so today, have we made a new decision, even though it sounds harsh to our ears, to say, you know what, I I, I need to deny myself. I I need to surrender everything to the Lord and say, Father, I I give you all today. My, My dreams, my desires, they are all secondary to you because you are great and you are glorious and you are the reason for my very existence. This life is not about me. I am a part of your unfolding story. Therefore, I will take up my cross even today and follow after you because when I lose my life in you, I gain everything. And so this is why the Lord will be willing even to put a drought in front of his people. But look at what happens. This is interesting. Look at verses 12 through 14. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke with the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month and the sixth month and the second year of Darius the king. Unbelievable. We get a happy ending in the Old Testament. That never happens. Normally, it's all pain and destruction. They listened. The prophet came. They spoke. And the people listened. And they come back and they say, you know what? The Lord is right. We've gotten distracted. I've been spending time doing the, on, on the crown molding on my house, and I have not been focusing on the Lord's house. And so they change. They shift, and they begin to complete the temple, and they will. They will ultimately, over the next couple years, they will get all of the resources and they will complete God's temple. It will be built and it will again sit at the center of Israel. They respond. And I wonder how we would get to the same place. How do we get to that place where we also daily are responding to the Lord? We too want to seek him first. We want to build on that foundation and not get sidetracked by the rest of the world. And let me give you four things here that come from this chapter that I think they can help us. First off, notice what they do. They fear the Lord. Look at verse 12. It says they feared the Lord. What happens is, is that they are renewing their reverence for God. 
This is not a slavish fear that God's gonna throw something worse at them. They recognize, wait a minute, this is the God who loves us. This is the God who is worthy. This is the God who is the center of who we are, who created us from scratch, who brought us out of Babylon, who gave us this place, who promises to be with us, who made us special out of all the places on the earth. They begin to recognize the glory and the grandeur and the goodness and the grace of God. And they say, because we begin to see it now, We want to come back. Now we want to come and serve. But it starts with this fear. If we're ever gonna get to a place where I wanna surrender to the Lord daily, where I don't get distracted by all the the chaos, the tyranny of the urgent, I have to come back, not to the work, not even to the righteousness, I have to come back to him. I have to come back to the Lord and I have to recognize that he is greater and more glorious and more worthy to be worshiped and praised than anything else in this world. Great as the things of the world are, nothing compares to my great God, the one who loves me, who gave his life for me, who laid everything aside for me, the one who forgave me when I did not deserve it. We begin to gaze upon the goodness and the glory of God, and it inspires us to follow after him. I cannot stress to you how important this point is, because there's going to be a temptation even here to just jump back into the work. Okay, great, where's the righteousness? I'll work on the righteousness. Let me do good, let me get better, let me do the right thing again. Sorry, I got distracted, but I'll come back and let's let's do some things. Hey, that looks good on the surface, but it will never last. You can see this if you ever talked to an addict before. We've had lots of folks in the church who have struggled and are struggling with various numbers of addictions. But anytime you have somebody who's dealing with an addiction, usually there's a phase where they say, hey man, I need to change. But the reason for changing is I need to change for my husband. I need to change for my wife. I need to change for my kids. I need to change because I see now it hurts other people and I need to change for them. And so I got to work on this so I can change for them. And that sounds awesome. And it will never last. Because sooner or later, they'll start asking, but what about me? And they'll find a good reason to head right back to their addiction. For an addict to see true change, there's got to come to a place, they call it rock bottom, you got to come to a place where I recognize, hey, I'm out of control, and i got to see that there's a God who loves me, even in this broken state, but I can't fix it. I need him. I need him. Regardless of whatever happens in my life, regardless of whatever anybody else says, I need him. And when people come to that kind of brokenness, you can see redemption and healing and transformation. It is absolutely possible. But it has to start when I see the Lord, when we see the Lord. And so do we fear him? This is where worship is so important weekly. This is where your your quiet time is so important daily. Why? It's because it draws us back just to see more of him, to understand him more, to hear from him more, to see more reasons to glorify him. If I will find myself just centering on him, dwelling upon him, living in him, okay, that actually fuels everything else. And so they started by fearing the Lord. Here's the second thing. They obeyed the Lord. They obeyed the Lord. They they changed their ways. In order for them to do this, they actually had to stop working on their own houses so they could start work on the Lord's house. And so this was an actual change. They didn't say, Lord, you're right. You're exactly right. I'll see you next Sunday. And they went right back to their own houses. They said, no, I've got to change my ways. I've got to stop what I'm doing and do something different. And so they shifted. They now changed what they were doing. They obeyed the Lord. 
And if you and I want to see transformation, it is going to require a change in what we do. We can't just recognize, man, my priorities are out of whack, but oh well. And then go back and work the same number of hours or do things in the same way or not change what we're doing. Y'all know what the definition of insanity is, right? Where you keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. That's crazy talk. Okay, well, if you want to see change, there's got to be change in what we do. Now, look, I want to protect you because this is where the enemy is going to pop in again. He's going to say, no, 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 no. You know what that guy's asking of you, right? That doesn't work. Man, you can't do that. You know what's happening to these people? Man, these people are in a tough spot. They got to rebuild their houses and their lives, and all the Lord wants is his temple. He's fine. He doesn't even need it, and these guys are going to go hungry. They're, they're, they're not going to have any food to eat. They're not going to have houses to live in. They're not going to have anything. They're going to have a real nice temple, but these guys are going to get left out in the cold. God gets his, but these people are going to get left out in the lurch. That's what Satan's going to tell us. You can't put the Lord first. What's going to happen to your job? You can't put the Lord first. What's going to happen to your hobby? You can't put the Lord first. What's going to happen to your bottom line? And he's going to make this false dichotomy. There's either following the Lord and you lose everything, or you can follow yourself, and yeah, the Lord's not as pleased, but he'll probably forgive you, and it'll all be fine in the end. And there's this false dichotomy between following the Lord and practical realities. Don't fall for it. Don't ever fall for it. There's a couple numbers here that prove that. We, we usually skip the numbers, but in the first verse of the chapter, it said it was on the first day of the month is when the word came. And then in the last verse, it says on the 24th day, they started the work. Do you notice that? Well, do the math. That's 23 days difference. There's 23 days between when the message came and when they started working on the, on the temple, but God doesn't seem to be phased by that. Well, why the 23-day gap? Well, we're in the sixth month, that's September in the Hebrew calendar, that's harvest time. And you gotta go get the harvest. You can't really put that off. And so the Lord says, no, I get it, it's harvest time. Go get the harvest, and then we gotta do the house. And he's okay, because the Lord understands our practical realities. It's not follow the Lord and nothing else, but it's also not do whatever you want and we'll get to the Lord later. No, I can seek the Lord first. And then seek other things as well. If I will start with the Lord first, he understands what we need. He understands our, our, our desires. What if I choose to trust him? But I have to obey. Here's the third thing, verse 13. God immediately says back to them, I am with you. I am with you. Isn't that great? Remember, the, the temple is the place where God's presence is supposed to rest above the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, and the place is not even built yet. God's not waiting till it's done to say, I'm with you. He doesn't wait to see it accomplished to say, I'm with you. He's with them now. And you and I have that same confidence. Why? We serve the Emmanuel, the God with us. Jesus, who says, as he goes to ascend into heaven, never will I, he says, he says, I will always be with you, even to the end of the age, who makes promises, I will, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, and then puts his Holy Spirit in us so that we can always know that the Lord is with us in whatever we do. And that finally leads to this, the Holy Spirit stirs them. Did you catch this? In verse 14, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of the governor, of the high priest, and then of the whole people. The Lord himself empowers them. 
This is what I love about the Lord. The Lord doesn't just sit back as a foreman sitting far away to go, you guys build that thing and I'll come check your work. You guys go do what I asked you to do and we'll see if it passes muster. He says, no, how about I roll up my sleeves and I come help you do it? How about I empower you to do it? How about I encourage you in doing it? When you and I follow after the Lord, the Lord is not simply asking us to accomplish something. He is inviting us into his work. And he himself, by his Holy Spirit, who lives in us, will empower us to do what we could never have done on our own. It's so much easier when I begin to turn to the Lord instead of slaving to try to find something to create my own security. I put my trust in the Lord. I seek him first, knowing that all these things will be added unto me as well. And sure enough, the people finish the work and the power of the Lord. As we begin to move into this next season, these are the choices that we have to make. As the Lord calls us to return and rebuild and to be renewed, what does that mean for our daily choices? What does that mean for what we're willing to do, how we're willing to lead, how we're willing to serve, how we're willing to give? What what does that mean for each of us? And will we be willing to say, no, I want to seek his kingdom first? But when we do, we may not be building a physical building, even though those are very important. When you and I seek his kingdom, we will not only see him glorified, we will see the Holy Spirit of God transform us and everyone around us. And that's the adventure he invites us into. So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And heads bowed and eyes closed. I wonder if there's any place in your life where you just already kind of know you're being distracted. Already things have gotten chaotic. Already things have gone off the rails and we just say, man, how did I get back to busy so quick? What is the Lord saying to you and to us about this next season of our life? What is he saying about these next few years? Not even the next few days, but the next few years. And I wonder if he might be trying to give us a course correction. He might be to you individually, he might be to us collectively, but to say, hey, we're going to take a course correction. I want to make sure we stay focused with Christ as the center of all who we are, of his life, his kingdom, his righteousness as the reason for all that we do. Is there anything that's taking us away from that? Anything that's drawing us away from that, good though it may be? Is there anything that's distracting us from that purpose? Maybe today the Lord's speaking to us and saying, listen, I, I know you have in the past, but I need you to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow after me. It doesn't feel good. It sounds scary, but... It comes from a place of love. The Lord is inviting us back into eternal life. What would that look like for us today? What would that look like for you today? Let's listen. Let's evaluate. Let's consider. And then let's respond to him. So Lord, help us. We are prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the Lord that we love. And so, Lord, draw our hearts back. 
If you see us getting off the mark, if you see us just beginning to drift, I'd much rather hear it now than two years down the road. Lord, we just continue to reveal your goodness and your glory that we might know you, abide in you, grow in you, love you, experience you. Lord, we need you. And so draw our hearts back to you that we might focus on you and your kingdom. And you, Lord, will provide all that we need and we will choose this day to trust you in that. We love you. So help us, Lord. We choose today you. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand up if you will. Let's worship together. You come as the Lord leads you. You pray as the Lord leads you to pray. But let's offer ourselves to him today.